Thank you to Jeff and Jenny and Mark and Mary for blessing us this morning. Well, my name is Julie Alsup. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith. It is good to be with you live and in person. And also those who are watching online, we are so glad that you are with us this morning as well. So we are continuing in our sermon series called Brave. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking from the book of Esther. And my sermon title is For Such a Time as This. So I want to share a story with you. There was a a really bad storm one time out in the ocean, and uh, there were a lot of shipwrecks. And there was a a shipwreck that had happened, and the only survivor of this shipwreck washed up on a small, uninhibited island. And he cried out to God to save him. And every day he scanned the horizon for help, but none seemed to be forthcoming. And exhausted, he finally managed to build a a rough uh, little hut, if you will, with a few of his possessions that had washed up on shore with him. And then one day he was out hunting, scavenging for food, and he arrived home uh, to his little hut and found it in flames. And the smoke was rolling up to the sky. And the worst had happened, and he was stung with grief, and he was just devastated, couldn't take any more. And early the next day, a ship drew near the island and rescued him. And uh, he asked, he says, how did you know that I was here, he asked the crew. And they replied, we saw your smoke signal. Oh, the sweet providence of God, though invisible yet invincible. How many of you are familiar with the book of Esther? It's one of my favorite books. Hopefully uh, many of us have read it and are familiar with it. And it's interesting in that we don't see God's name mentioned anywhere in this uh, book of the Bible, yet his fingerprints are all over it. So I want to share a little bit of a context with you uh, to let you know where we're headed this morning. So the time period was during the Babylonian exile. And a little bit of a historical background for you, there was a civil war in Israel, and Israel was divided, and both sides were not walking with the Lord. So God allowed Assyria to take the north, Israel, into captivity, and then Babylon uh, was taken, uh, which is Judah, uh, taken by Babylon uh, into captivity for, captivity for 70 years. And we know that the book of Daniel happened in this time period. And then Babylonian was overpowered by the Medes and the Persians. And the Jews uh, were free to return to Jerusalem and the original land. So to give you some context, again, I said a 70-year exile. So there's a lot of generations that were born during this time period. So some people didn't even didn't even have a context for their heritage uh, in Jerusalem. So Zerubbabel uh, led the first group back, and then Ezra led the second group, and then Nehemiah, the third group. But then there was also a group that decided not to go back to Jerusalem. They decided to stay right where they were, and that's uh, where our story starts today. Uh, It's those that stayed back in Persia. And you can't help but wonder, you know, God blessed the, the ones that went back to Jerusalem, but did God forget the ones that decided to stay? No, no way he did not forget them. I have uh, had the privilege to visit the Qumran uh, caves, which are found in the Judean desert uh, in Israel. And it's uh, where copies of the Dead Sea Scrolls um, were hidden in caves and they were hidden in the Qumran um, caves. And when the uh, explorers found these, they found everything but the book of Esther. So the running joke is every time we go to Qumran, where's Esther? We can't find Esther, right? And uh, it's interesting that, that Esther was living in a foreign land. She felt like an outsider. 
and was uh, felt left out in a culture that didn't accept her. And it's ironic that she was left out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Just kind of ironic. I don't know how many of you uh, got to visit the exhibit that was done at the Museum Center a couple years ago. It was pretty amazing to be able to, uh, to see those up close and in person. And I don't know how many of you may feel like Esther feel left out, maybe not seen. But I want to reassure you that God is working even when you don't see it. He never stops working, just like with Esther and just like with each and every one of us. So did God forget Esther? No, he did not forget Esther, and he hasn't forgotten us. So I want to introduce you to five main characters that are in our narrative today. We have King Xerxes, and he reigned on the Persian throne for 41 years. He had quite the reign, and he is said to have been the most handsome person of his age, and uh, he had to be a prince of very, or he was a prince of very mild and generous disposition. And then we have Queen Vashti. She was a strong-willed, independent-minded woman who refused to cooperate with her husband's um, drunken demands at times, and she's quickly whisked off the scene. We don't uh, hear much of her after the first couple of verses. And then we have someone named Mordecai in the story, and he and Esther were cousins. And when her parents died, he cared enough to adopt her as a daughter. And so he was a cousin, but also a father figure to Esther. And he exposes this assassination plot, and he refuses to bow down to anyone. And um, he eventually takes Haman's place as prime minister. And then we have the evil Haman. He's our villain in the story, the antagonist and a prideful archvillain. And in, in, in terms of our historical reference, we would view him as uh, the Adolf Hitler of the 4th century BC as he tried to uh, exterminate the Jews. And then we have Queen Esther, who is the star of our story. And her Hebrew name is Hadassah, which I think is such a pretty name, Hadassah. And her Persian name was Esther. And she was described as a woman who had chutzpah. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that word before, but she had chutzpah. And she was brave, and she uh, was bold, and she was fearless. And Esther's key to her success is that she was blind to visible problems, and she saw an invisible God. And so our narrative is uh, on the survival of the Jews, and they were so close to a holocaust, and the purpose was to show God's sovereignty and his care for his people via his providence. So a couple quick funnies before we get started. Why did the queen go to the dentist? To get crowns on her teeth. Why is England the wettest country? The queen has reigned for years. And what kind of tree, tea do you drink with the queen? Royalty. And our last one, what do you say if a knight in shining armor dies? Rest in peace. Just a few funnies to get us started. So we're going to jump into our narrative and onto our story this morning. So the Jews were in exile, and again, it's during the Persian Empire, and Xerxes was the king at the time, had a queen named Vashti, and she was beautiful, and she wanted everyone to see her beauty, and the king had summoned for her to come to him, but she refused, and he was not happy, and he banned her from entering into his presence again. So we're going to jump into our, our scripture, and I'm starting in Esther 2.2. I'm going to share a lot of scripture with you this morning, but I feel like it's the best way for you really to, to understand uh, this, this story and this narrative. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let, search, let a search be made for a beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa, 
and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor, and immediately he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her from her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. We pick up in verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So we transition uh, to this noble named Haman. King Xerxes was so impressed with him that he gave him the highest seat of honor, and all officials at the king's gate were to kneel before him to pay honor to him throughout the kingdom. Well, as I had shared earlier about Mordecai, he was not about, down, about, not about to bow down to anyone. Verse 5, when Haman saw Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor to him, he was enraged. Yet, having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. It wasn't enough just to take out Mordecai. He wanted to take everyone out. So Mordecai and Esther, they have this conversation. And, and Mordecai says to her, don't think that just because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So Esther, we know she had this chutzpah. She was empowered and she gave Mordecai this instruction to gather the Jews, to fast for three days. And she asked her attendants to fast as well. And her plan was to go to the king. And we remembered that you can only approach the king if he asks you to. So she said, if I perish, I perish. You talk about chutzpah, right? She was like, I'm, I'm going in. So on the third day, she robed up and she couraged up and she approached the king. And he was pleased to see her, and he extended the gold scepter to her, asking her what her request was. And she invited him and Haman to a banquet. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared, and they were drinking wine, and the king asked her again, Now what is your petition? And it will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. And so Esther responds, my petition and my request is this, if the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them, and then I will answer the king's question. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered a book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. So King Xerxes was grateful that Mordecai had exposed a plot against him and not noticed that his mighty act had noticed that his mighty act had gone unnoticed. So he wanted to celebrate Mordecai. He wanted to right that wrong. And who does he ask to celebrate, celebrate Mordecai? But Haman of all people. I have no idea how Haman had, uh, had no, how he took this and this plan uh, to take out Mordecai and his people, and now he's having to celebrate this man. 
So verse 10, it says, Go at once, the king commanded Haman, Get the robe and the horse and do just as I have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman uh, got the robe and he got the horse and he robed up Mordecai and he led him on horseback throughout the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what uh, is done for the man the king delights to honor. You can just imagine Haman's face as he and Mordecai rode throughout the city. So we fast forward. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked again, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept slaves. I would have kept quiet. But because no such distress would justify disturbing the king, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, "Who is this? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing?" And Esther said, "An adversary, an enemy, the vile Haman." Well, you can imagine it did not end well for Haman. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told uh, how he was related to her, and the king took off his signet ring, which he reclaimed from Haman and presented it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. The Jews were saved. Esther became queen, and Mordecai became the prime minister. You see, we have a king and his name is Jesus, and he made the ultimate sacrifice. He sits on the throne of mercy and grace. As believers, you and I hold royal positions in his mighty kingdom. When you feel hopeless, may you find purpose in your royal position, princes and princesses of the kingdom of God. I love this quote. It goes like this, on the darkest of days when I feel inadequate, unloved, or unworthy, I remember whose child I am, and I straighten my crown. So what is revealed to us about God in the book of Esther? That he's a way maker, that he will make a way when it seems to be no way. There's a popular song on Christian radio today called Waymaker. And there's a couple verses in that song, and it says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. So a couple of takeaways for us this morning. One is trust in his person and then trust in his plan. Trust in his person and then trust in his plan. And then be still. I don't know about you, but it's hard to be still sometimes, especially with the noise of the world that is around us. Listen to the whisper of God behind the roar of your circumstances. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Listen to the whisper of God behind the roar of your circumstances. You see, God may change your circumstances as he did for Esther and Mordecai, but most of all, he wants to change us. God is for you, not against you. He's working behind the scenes for your highest good. I want us to take a moment just to look at our hands. Our hands are unique. God gave you a fingerprint 
that no one else has. So you can leave an imprint that no one else can. I want to say that again. God gave you a fingerprint that no one else has, so you can leave an imprint that no one else can. We have an imprint for impact. It's the smallest of touches that make the biggest differences. And who knows? Who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? So we look at our, our characters in the story of Esther. We have Mordecai, who used his influence for good. We have Esther, who had this, this boldness and this bravery and this chutzpah. And then evil Haman, right? Eventually that, that, that wrong was righted and his plot was exposed. And then we have King Xerxes, who embraced humility and integrity and compassion. I would encourage you to think back and reflect on one of these characters of, of, of where you may be feeling now and, and where and who you might identify with the most. So how is God working through you in the little things and the big, big things to make a difference? Don't underestimate what God can do through you. Imprint for impact. So I have shared with uh, a couple of services, and I want to share with you now. Uh, probably about 10 days ago, a week ago this past Friday, a new set of fingerprints came into the world. I have a granddaughter, uh, second, second grandchild for me. Her name is Maeve Blair Smith. And I had a little oops in the first service that people pointed out. She was born 8 pounds, not 18 pounds. So apparently I said 18 by mistake. So wait till I see my daughter-in-law later today and tell her, I told everybody you had an 18-pound baby. That would be like giving birth to a preschooler or a kindergartner, right? <laughs> Eight pounds was enough. So we are just overjoyed uh, in our family and so excited to uh, see, see how God blesses her and how her fingerprints are going to make an impact uh, in the world. So I appreciate you for letting me indulge a little bit uh, with, with uh, our good news in our family. So I want to lead us into a time of prayer as we close out. Won't you join me? Father, we come before you, and Lord, we, we thank you that you are with us even when we don't see it. And we thank you for the, the unique handprints that you have given each and every one of us. We have unique fingerprint, unique handprint, unlike anyone else. And Lord, we pray that we would use these, these handprints, these fingerprints, to impact your kingdom to your glory. And we thank you for the, the miracle of birth and new life. And, and Lord, it's just so exciting to, to, to have blessings in the midst of challenging times. Father, we thank you for the book of Esther. And Lord, we know that uh, Esther was not forgotten. We know that her story was not forgotten. And that some of us in this season may feel like we've been forgotten. But God, you never leave us nor forsake us. So we thank you for your handprints all over our lives. And though sometimes we may not see them, they're there. Father, we've come seeking you this morning, and I pray, Lord, that we have connected with you in a way, Lord, that our eyes and our hearts have been open, Lord, to receive you. We praise you and we glorify you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. amen.